ain't a podcast that's flyer. You are now tuned in to Direct Misfire. Benson, you and Selick, tell everyone to tune in. Let's roll the dice, let me show you what we do win. A fantasy war game, play it smart and you win. What you know about the crystal pen and the retribution? Hero, hero, giants and knights galore. It's an adventure, this is Kings of War. Let's go. G'day champs and welcome once again to another Direct Misfire Missive. I'm your host Bensom and joining me today as always is Selick. Hello! As well as Hugh. Yo yo! As we chat about upcoming events including the next big Victorian tournament, Convict. So pull up a seat, grab a drink and let's get into it. So gents, we're back into it. We It's been a bit of a spell since the last recording, but there have been a few major life events occur between us. There has. But uh... Now that stuff's out of the way, we can focus on the important stuff. Kings of War. Woohoo! So, what's been going on? What are we, what are we doing here? Well, um, so I think we're going to go over, particularly, oh, I've been in very personally impressed with Australian tournament scene at the moment. So it just seems to be ta- mm-hmm. taking steps into the next level, which I'm pretty excited about. So, um, particularly on the, the east coast of Australia. So uh, we'll start off over in Port Macquarie. So there's a little gaming group over there that uh, hosted a tournament. I think it was last weekend, called the War of Independence. And what I'm really impressed about here is it's the first tournament that I've seen that the new Riftforged Orcs have actually won there right. with uh, Patrick Williams, I think his name is, or Williamson. Okay. Um, so yeah, he's won the first tournament with Riftforged Orcs. Have you guys had a look at the, the list? No, they just look like Orcs with bigger stuff. And more expensive, really. I'll look at it when we do the review. <laughs> Patrick Williamson's specific list, you mean? Uh, no, not, not his p- specific list, but um, yeah, just, just the, like the, the Rift Forge Rift in general. Orcs in general. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, I've checked him out a bit. Yeah, they um, they seem like orcs that hit a little harder and cost a little more. Yep, well, that's that's pretty much it. They're a little bit fancier. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't really focused on them because they're not big on the tournament scene just yet. Like orcs weren't all mm. that popular in Rift Forge pretty new so there hasn't been much incentive to study them and check them out i think once i see some of the painted models on the table i'll like have them in my mind's eye a little bit more Mm. it's not quite the same when they're just in the book you know i need to be like benson i guess i need to face them in reality and you know get to grips with them and then i'll understand them a little better Mm. yeah well like i mean much like yourself i haven't actually played them in person yet so i played them on uh ub but yeah, this is the first time that I've actually seen them take out a tournament. And I was having a look over at the US Masters list. Um, and there's even one in, in those lists. So which is that's a bit of a surprise. And halflings cool. were absent. Absent indeed. Yeah, that's surprising. Mm, it is. If we move a little bit south from Port Macquarie over on the east side, we uh, Sydney's actually had two tournaments over there. So they had Clash of Things 2, which <laughs> I think Max. I'm not sure if you guys played Max from the fantasy days. Max K? Yes. Yeah. Yep. I think he's, he's still young, isn't he? He's still a young fella. Well, he's probably aging the same sort of speed as us, so he's always going to be younger. <laughs> um, but yeah, he actually took out his first Kings of War tournament over there with his Northern Alliance. Oh, nice. Ah, Northern Alliance. Northern Alliance are great. Yes, they are. They're still very, very good. Um, but Max, overconfident after winning this tournament, I would say. Mm. So he's gone to ShireCon, which was uh, last weekend. And he's done the rookie mistake. He grudged Tracy, didn't he? He grudged Tracy in the first Flying round. High. No, that's the big ball play, grudging Tracy. <laughs> I mean, will it make you win a tournament? No, but mm. it'll uh, you know it'll make sure that you put the right foot forward. Well, it was make or break. Uh, unfortunately for Max, it was break. <laughs> I think Tracy uh, ended up twenty-one up over him, um, and that was the catalyst for. Tracy to just take out Shyacon, which was a pretty Steam big tournament World. actually uh, overall, mm. um, run by Nick Legrand up in Sydney. Twenty people. Uh, yeah, twenty twenty one. I think they had a late uh, withdrawal there, but um, pretty good. Yeah, and uh, Tracy using his nature still. I think he used that in Convict uh, Cancon as well. So yes, that, mm. yeah, I remember when I beat them. Yep. Ooh. But Max and his Northern Alliance <laughs> still managed to come in tenth after getting thumped by Tracy in round one. So still full power yeah. to him. He, he yep. came back. Yep. No, he's a good player as well. Um, from the fantasy days, I've, I remember losing to him a couple of times. Um, never beating him, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, all right, and we sort of went up into Queensland, and I think they had a store of Showdown 3. I don't have those results on hand, but um, I know that those Queensland boys are having uh, some pretty regular sort of catch-ups and tournaments. So, uh, yeah, pretty impressed. But the biggest absence here was that over the whole 
June and July that there hasn't been a, a Victorian tournament. And I would like to think that the Victorians are the superior players of Kings of War. Of course. Well, I'm glad there hasn't been one because we've been so busy. Like, Hugh's moved, I got married. Like, we weren't attending those things. So <laughs> I'm glad there wasn't. Mm. No, nah, that's it. But I'm glad to report that now that we're in July, uh, Winter Carnage, which is a, a smaller tournament that's getting ready for Convic, uh, will be happening, I think it's next weekend. Oh, okay. Over in Ringwood. Yep. The points level is uh, 1995, which is sort of the first day of Convic, so in preparation there. Mm-hmm. And then the big big mama herself, uh, Convic, is happening on the 20th to the 21st of August. You beauty. Right. I've got to get some practice games in because I haven't played for a little while. Not since the last tournament. I don't know when that was, a couple of months back. Yeah. And I don't know what I'm taking. Yeah. No, that's it. So a couple of practice games for sure. Um, and I thought what we might do is just have a, a bit of a look at the Convict pack because okay. it is quite unique and there's a lot of elements inside the pack that are a bit outside the norm, um, which will sort of turn some heads. And particularly for the people that are attending this and they don't generally read the packs, they just turn up on the day and play. Uh, there's mm. a couple of gotchas in the pack. Mm-hmm. Mm. Worth knowing about. I think it's pretty important that we just take a bit of a look. You might read this pack, uh, even if you're one of those players normally, just by virtue of how beautiful it is, though. It is. It looks exactly like, uh, and I'm sure this is the aim, but it looks like a mantic publication. It's got, you know, all the beautiful pictures and mm. looks fantastic. Looks like a rule book. Yeah, it looks like straight out of one of their rule books. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I may have... Uh, offered to help out ag with that but all the content itself is comes from ag this sounds like a lie now that i've said that but i genuinely didn't know that (laughs) that you had done it i thought it was just like ag or jeff it makes sense now that you say it of course it was you but (laughs) (laughs) i only put it all together as in collated it um Mm. ag and uh, jeff the tournament organizers uh, they actually put it all together, like from a content perspective, and I just sort of graphically shared it. it. Yeah, they wrote it, it, and you made it pretty. Yeah, that's it. That's, that's right. it. So, so we might just jump straight into it mm-hmm. and give out the the basic details. Okay. So, most importantly, it's a two day tournament. Mm-hmm. So, make sure you put in your annual leave for the Monday after to recover. And the second biggest thing is that it's not one points level. It's split up between the two days. So we've got what is it? Four games day one, three mm-hmm. day two. That's it? Yep. And it's also uh, August 20th and 21st, for those who are really keen to know. I know, Mitch, I know Selick mentioned it earlier, but just in case you didn't pick Let's that reiterate. up, August, yep. yeah, August 2021st at the uh, Burden Parks Bowls Club in Springvale, which is, yep. of course, in Melbourne, technically. So the annual leave should be booked for the 22nd. That's <laughs> mm-hmm. how the pros do it. And Springvale's out east, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yep. yep, just like every other Kings of War tournament, unfortunately, <laughs> but for those of us who live northwest, but whatever. All right, so the first day, four games at 1995 points. Um, is, are the prizes split up between the two days? So they're not. Um, okay. So the, the thing is here, you can attend just one day as well. Mm. So it, it's not actually mentioned explicitly in the pack, like you won't find it as its own sort of heading. But you can actually just attend one day. If you do attend just the one day, there's not like a best day one sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It's only, all the prizes are only done on the entirety of the event. Okay, right. So we've got the four 1995 games, which is going to be pretty grueling. What's that, an hour... 40 a game? Yeah, hour 40, yeah. So, so you got to play pretty quick. Yeah. It's doable in an hour 40, of course. What's that? Um, you'd have 45-minute clocks, I guess, plus 10 minutes of stuffing around time. Mm. So Horde Armies Beware? Yep. So I think it's 55 minutes per player 55. Uh, for okay. the yep. 1995 and then 65 minutes for the 2-3. Yep. So day two was three games at 2,300, which is what I guess most people would be used to. Uh, so two lists, they have to be from the same army, but they don't have to be the same lists. Is that correct? That is correct. Excellent. Yay, got it. So one list for the 1995 and then one list for 2300. How much does it cost? Uh, 50 bucks. Okay. So 50 bucks for both days, as in total, uh, or you can pay $25 just for one day. Or if you want, you can pay $25 for each day. You could. It's a bowls club as well, so I'm pretty sure we got cheap drinks last time. Mm. Yeah, I seem to recall them having 1990s prices. It's been a couple of years because of COVID and all that, but... Yeah, they, it does cost quite a bit to hire those places out. So I think they've done well to keep it to 50 bucks. Uh, I assume most of that will be going to space hire. But open bar, you know, mm. it's, a, it's a nice big venue. So it's good. Mm. Apart from being in the middle of nowhere, it's it's perfect. <laughs> That's it. So, 
a bit of history as well and that's what I really love about Convict and why I sort of helped out a fair bit I'm really trying to drive it to get back to its former glory so if we go back to 2008 Wee. I think was the first tournament that I went there well is it that old that wow that's amazing I knew it was old but that's that's even older than I thought that was just when I was there I think it was back in 2002 it's a heritage tournament. really yeah it's a heritage tournament 20 years yep. crikey so yeah that 2008 was my first tournament there, and I got absolutely destroyed by uh, Mike Crossman and AG and Co. I thought you were going to say the drinks, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I probably did that as well. But um, yeah, back then I think it was about 70 or 80 people, mm. and by the time it got to 2010, I think they peaked out at 106 players. Oy. So that took over all of the venue space, and then there was like this extra women's room, the pink room out the back that had the top 10 players um, out there. I'll have you know that in the third round, I was in that room. Mm -hmm. What were you doing in the women's room? I was very rapidly knocked out of that room. So um, (laughs) I was on like the third table and then I got pantsed. uh, As it should be, really. (laughs) But the venue is quite spacious. Beautiful, yeah. It's quite good. Uh, What else we got? So all the standard rules, third edition... Clash of Kings 22 and all the riders got to play with chess clocks to keep on that time. Mm-hmm. It's a sensible amount of time though, 55 for the shorter rounds uh, and 65 for the for the 2300. So in the Convict 2022 players pack as well, they've set out a pre-game sequence, which is this little eight-step sequence situation. So you've got to kind of step through it with your opponent before the game starts, uh, presumably before you've even put your uh, deployments. I suppose you, you put your clock on in step seven, by the looks. There's a little mm-hmm. clock symbol. Nicely done, Salik. <laughs> so step one is to introduce yourself. It's a social event, you know, blah, blah. Introduce yourself. Don't just turn up to the game and say nothing because that would be really awkward. Yep. <laughs> and then step two is a particularly interesting one to do with terrain setup. Players are asked to move and confirm that the terrain is placed as per the printed map on the table. And then players roll a D6 each. Player with the highest die roll may choose to move a single piece of terrain up to six inches in any direction. Wow. So mm. you deploy to the map that would be pre-assigned to the table, which presumably will be a fairly balanced map, as those usually are. But then you get this opportunity to just completely screw up the board situation by moving the enormous castle six inches into your opponent's deployment zone or something like that. Yeah, or maybe even a hill into your deployment zone. Mm. Oh, a hill into your deployment zone, yeah. But at this stage, you it's not your deployment zone, so you could actually be screwing yourself you if you know. lose the next roll. Yeah. I would have thought that like you do the roll-off and then whoever won the roll-off would get to do it first, mm. but maybe moving two bits is too much, I don't know. But yeah, it looks like only one player gets to move this terrain, so that could be a huge advantage or it could be fairly meaningless, who knows. Yeah, maybe a benefit here to Pathfinder-type armies mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who can move terrain more to take over a certain chunk of the middle of the board, perhaps. Certainly an interesting twist. It is before you've deployed, so you're not going to get caught out, you know, someone moving a bit of terrain right in front of your infantry or something mm-hmm. like that, so... Yeah, interesting one. Hmm. Uh, then you do, you do your terrain discussion after that. Yep. Uh, so you, you're moving a bit of terrain that you haven't discussed yet. You don't know what it is, <laughs> <laughs> and then you discuss it afterwards. Oh, who, who knows? You know, you gotta you gotta have that discussion to make sure that you know uh, what height things are, all that kind of jazz. You then provide your army lists, and you do any scenario setup and discussion at this point putting out counters, so on and so forth. You then choose a side, so you roll off to choose which side you're on. So that's also important. That's done after your terrain move. So you don't know which side you're on when you're moving that bit of terrain. Yeah. So so maybe you'd use it as a gambit to try to move a bit of hill, a hill into your deployment zone, like your example, Zelic, but then like you might not get that deployment zone. So mm. perhaps, yeah. again, it's not as big as, as it may first look. Uh, and then you start your clocks and you start deploying things back and forth uh, before, of course, rolling for first turn and cracking on. That's it. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one. I've never seen that sort of D6 to move terrain before. Yeah. I've, I've seen terrain sort of move randomly in tournaments in fantasy back in the day, mm-hmm. um, but never have I seen it to be like changed with purpose. Mm. So, yeah, I think could actually benefit a couple of armies if done well. It'll be interesting to hear how it affects people after the tournament as well, mm. hear those stories. Yeah, because I think it... For me, I would end up having this cunning plan and it would totally screw me. I think that's how <laughs> I would do it. Probably right. You'd be like, oh, I'm definitely going to like wedge them in with this thing or something. And then you'd be like, oh, I got the wrong deployment side or something. And, <laughs> oh, they, they, they oh, deployed differently to what I expected. And oh, no, it all was pointless. But who knows? Yeah, if you can come up with something cunning to do with it, then full points to you. No, that's it. 
So the next, well, I wouldn't say change, uh, but the terrain is a little bit different to some tournaments that we've been to. So your woods and your forests are going to be height 9, so that means that your big boys on top of a hill uh, won't be able to see over the top ever. Oh, interesting. So sometimes you'll get height 7 woods. I wonder what made them make that choice. Is that just because they Yeah, how do you feel they didn't about want that? the I, I think it's fine, honestly, because it rarely comes up anyway, so it always feels like a bit of a gotcha hmm. when something... So you need to be tight in the height 6 on a hill... Hype three, and then you need to, um, you know, have a woods or forest in between yeah, where you're charging. I can understand it because by being like for the woods and a forest and the buildings and impassable terrain, they're all height nine, meaning nobody can ever see over the top of them. Mm-hmm. So the only thing that I can sort of see here is like, what's the point of the height then? What about the periscope? Uh, the periscope can only be put on individuals, and there's no, uh, there's height, no height, height six individuals. individuals. Well, there should be. There should be. <laughs> Missed the tall legs. Yeah, yeah. so um, yeah, it's sort of irrelevant at that point. And I didn't mind the whole gotcha. It's very isolated mm. um, that you'd get a height six thing on a hill that can fly, for example, apart from all dragons. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. I didn't mind it. But this sort of just pops over the top and you just can't go through them effectively. I guess it does make it cleaner. But yeah, yeah I did like that option. As, mm. as rare as it is, but having that thing to think about. That's it. Yeah, I think the option was nice if both players are aware. If they're not, just because of the extreme rarity of it, I think it has the potential to create feels bads. Mm. Maybe that's what they're trying to avoid. I guess I was just trying to, uh, you know, about what they were thinking when they made that ruling. Maybe it was that, maybe it's something else, don't know. Mm. Well, the, mm-hmm. the good thing about it is that it just balances. Everyone is in exactly the same scenario. The buildings are impassable. You just can't see over the top. You're not going to get any sort of gotchas there. Same with the woods. Um, so everyone's on exactly the same playing field whether mm. you've got height 6 or not mm-hmm. the hills height 3 sometimes they're height 2 sometimes they're height 3 so uh, yeah these ones here are height 3 which means that your cav can hide behind them uh, your obstacles are only height 1 uh, so sometimes you'll get obstacles at height 2 so this means that they do provide cover but obviously do not block line of sight yep. uh, and importantly here that your rivers your lakes your fields etc they're all flat so they don't offer any uh, cover at all unless you're in them half in them mm-hmm. right so the going back to the armies how we said they have to be from the same list if you take allies those allies also have to be from the same army so abyssal doors with allied goblins for your 1995 if you take allies and your 2300 your allies have to be goblins as well so mm. keep that in mind that's no, fair enough yeah it's it's quite interesting i've seen it a lot over in the u.s if you have a look at their masters list actually there's a lot of allies Really? Because we see them very rarely. Yeah, you could probably count them on a hand at our biggest tournament uh, in Clash of Kings. Um, I reckon you could probably four or five, maybe, uh, would have had allies. And they're often more thematic as well. Like, Yeah, it's not people just taking, I don't know, dwarfs with a couple of heavy cavalry allies to make up for a weakness in the list or something like that, really. It's mm. sort of something mm. more interesting to that player, I guess. And even then, it's super rare. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's a good opportunity for people to who like find painting an entire Ratkin army a bit intimidating because there's just so many rats. Mm-hmm. Maybe they should start taking Ratkin allies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think the only time that I've taken allies is because I just didn't have enough points for the point level of the tournament. So I took my uh, Kingdoms of Men. How many points do you want? <laughs> I need more. <laughs> Yeah, Kings of Midnight's, but yeah. Well, you've got your fully painted undead army now, Selick, so Oof. being evil, you can now take Rakin allies at last. Well, I, I don't actually have it all painted at the moment. <laughs> all the more reason to take some Rakin allies. I've got some Stop you could borrow. trying to inject rats into people's armies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually going to have a couple of rats on my new display, um, my new unit. It's a big legion of... Oh, they're the uh, ones that... That are dying, aren't they? Or being they crushed? Are. Well, maybe. Yep. Maybe I will have like one getting killed in honor of you. But yep. that's it. Uh, anyway, um, the other thing that's pretty unique about uh, Convict, other than being Victoria's biggest tournament, is that uh, they've already pre released all of the scenarios. So you can actually plan your armies around the scenarios. Right, tailor your list to it. Which is interesting. Um, so the first one is Plunder. So that's the five tokens along the middle of the board. Um, that you can pick up and take away. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second one is the control, where your board's separated into six mm-hmm. uh, different quadrants. Quadrants? It's not really quadrants Sections. anymore. Sections. <laughs> the third one, because you're brain dead, is just kill. Straight after lunch, food coma. Do some Straight food. after lunch, push stuff across the board. And then finally, uh, invade, which is an interesting one. So I'm just going to pause here with some of my thoughts around it all. Um, so plunder... 
with five tokens. Yeah. Control with obviously the the six sections. Yeah. And invade are all very unit strength high scenarios. Mm-hmm. Do you think, or am I sort of looking into this too much? No, I think you're right. They're very insur- unit strength focused because there's some that you can get away with a heap of like unit strength one things that end up claiming the objectives at the end mm. or something. But mm. for invade and control, that doesn't work as well. Yeah. And the other thing is obviously speed, I think, comes into it, particularly with control and invade. Because you've got to get across the board. Yeah. So finally, they've found a use for kill, I suppose, is what you're saying, because uh, <laughs> they're trying to say that that's like everyone's going to take all their unit strength three regiments and stuff for all those other scenarios and then... Um, they won't be as good at kill. Yeah, to be honest, when I was doing this pack up and I saw that kill was the game three, I was like, what the hell? Is that a typo? Like, what is this? <laughs> Nobody plays kill. It's all, it's almost a novelty just for that reason alone, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and I guess it, it is seven games across those two days. So having kill in there is, is not too bad. Mm. And we don't see it often at all. So I think this would be the first tournament that I've ever played kill in in many years so mm. true so it doesn't really i think it's okay to have it in there because it's i mean of course it's okay it's the their tournament they can make the rules however they want but <laughs> i think um it's a it is a, an interesting one it does deter me a little bit i'm not going to lie um partially that's i guess because i'd rather play at ratkin than undead and ratkin play objectives games and they lose mm. a lot of minis every time like it's a it's a if you play Ratkin perfectly, you're still likely to lose still a thousand points a of your army every time. Like that's just how they play. So it, it promotes the bag of hammers style list, I guess, um, more. But then, as you rightly point out, all the other scenarios are a lot more. I mean, you, you can, to be fair, you can still play invade and control very effectively with a bag of hammers list. Mm. Only really plunder does it promotes your like infantry regiment spreading out and standing there, mm. and even then, like. It feels like um, you know AG's double grotesque list would do just perfectly in this in this environment. Mm. Well, I think the as you sort of mentioned there with control and invade, the bag of hammers uh, list that you've mentioned, it has to be a fast bag of hammers, or else it just doesn't work. But all bag of hammers lists are fast bag of hammers lists. Yes. Well, they have to be. Yeah, yeah. That's I think that's the archetype. It's like multiple really hard hitting and fast units mm. that hit hard eliminate your opponent and then don't give them their chance to crack back and sort of make points back. So it's sort of win big or lose big if everything goes badly and they get the drop on you. That that style of list would probably go very well in day one. Sort of the, just for obviously everyone at home with their pen and pieces of paper are writing down all these tips, but <laughs> I think the counter to those sort of super fast lists is phalanx. Um, so your spear units. Mm-hmm. Um, making sure that they can't just hit hard so they're going to be at neg one to hit and lose all of their thunderous charge things like that so that can actually be something that most lists have access to relatively cheap regiments of phalanx um, which mm-hmm. could actually work out quite well for all of the scenarios not just um, one or two mm. yeah i mean it'd be a first that phalanx came and like took over the meta but maybe you're right maybe this is the moment for day one at least yeah day one phalanx meta i like it I'll, uh, I, I feel like almost like taking you up on that, Sally. Let's we'll take all phalanx, see what we <laughs> can do. And then kill. you come up against no flying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. Stomped that, kill. I often do take some phalanx. I often take like a, a couple of hordes or whatever that have it. Um, yeah, usually a hordes are good. But yeah, it, you do really feel it when you're like two hordes. Say you have two hordes in a regiment, you're like maybe 70, 80 points down on an army that doesn't mm. have flying or cav. That's that's a fair bit in Kings of War. Mm. It's not irrecoverable, but it's a, it's a mm. junk. Well, I actually wouldn't mind seeing... So the hordes of phalanx units typically get an extra five attacks. Um, so I wonder how many people are going to be taking the hordes with the plus one to hit uh, items so they can go down from fours to threes or... So expensive. Yeah, it is expensive, but it's still going to be a hard-to-move unit. So oh, that's right. You don't have goblins. <laughs> Day two, what were the uh, scenarios on that one? So Smoke and Mirrors loot and uh dominate but dominate with an asterisk here uh with a fancy arrow uh and basically so everyone if you don't know smoke and mirrors um it's where you can sort of it's the best one play a little bit of mind games with them so that you is that the one that reveals all at the same time or no periodically okay right each turn it's flipped yeah so i think it's randomly decided when they flip yeah yeah i'm not sure if that's the better one or the one that they will get revealed on turn three i, don't know, I they're think both it fun. is they're both great but yeah, yeah they're my favorites uh and loot is obviously the the loot tokens i think it's three along the middle 
Oh, no, these ones here is the ones that you can hold right at the start. Yeah, you put a couple on a, on a big chunky unit and one in the middle. Yeah, that's it. Uh, and the last one is Dominate, which is the your nine-inch bubble in the middle. Yep. So the difference here is is what AG and Jeff have decided, is that you get plus one unit strength for any unit that is controlling the exact center of the board at the end of the game. Okay. So what this means, and it works on individuals and unit strength zero in uh, models. So your war right. machine could be on the middle and get... Like that would ever happen. I feel like you deserve it if you get your war machine on the middle, the exact center, and it's actually claiming it. <laughs> <laughs> Full power to you, man. You, you get, get three extra point. points if you can do that. Yeah. <laughs> but in saying that, like you think of some of the, the really, really tough defense six individuals that uh, some armies have access to flying dwarves yep dwarves pharaoh uh, obviously you have to control in... it though right bloody shovik you don't have to control it you do, for this the addition on the dominate rule you just have to be on the exact center of the board and then you get plus one unit strength so if you're zero you go up to one if you're two right. you go up to three etc i feel like you get questions about that because it says controlling the exact center of the board does that mean like you've got two units on the center and you know how normally controlling an objective it's being within two inches most units yeah, or three, within yeah. two inches yep. or three yep. inches sorry yep. so does that mean if you've got a unit strength three regiment and a unit strength two regiment on the opposing side they're facing one another and they're both um within three of the center of the mm. board the unit strength three unit gets plus one unit strength because it's controlling it is that how it works no. So I think it sort of is weirdly caveated in the next sentence there where it says works on units with zero unit strength. I don't think that's really caveating it though, does it? Because wouldn't that wouldn't it only work on the zero unit strength thing if nothing else was anywhere near it? Well, I think if you, you couldn't control it if you were zero unit strength. But uh, either way, I'll make sure that that's all cleared up. But the the way that it was sort of intended, I think here, and the way that we can sort of reword it later is that... Uh, if you're on the complete center and you're an individual, it doesn't matter. You will get plus one unit strength. Yeah. Okay. Mm. But pretty interesting. I like the way that it sort of works. It means that people with a lot of individuals can actually really contest that. And I think it will also force people to get to that center point first uh, rather than now it's sort of like you stay back, you stay back, you stay back. So it only matters at the end. So it's just a tiebreaker potentially. But, but also you don't want to... Um have your opponent jump on there and then you have to try and shift them off it that's right yeah i mean if it if it happens to be dead even like you're both moving six unit strength in to the center or something like that toward the end then it becomes really important obviously because it's a tiebreaker it could be interesting mm. but um that's only going to occasionally happen but what happens historically with dominate is everyone sort of fights and in the last two turns they move in yep i think this will be a little bit different this time how so if you've got a defense six that's sitting in the middle um it's an auto plus one that they're getting on top of that yeah so i think it's sort of going to force the fighting to happen a little bit more in the middle um because that plus one unit strength is well will be the difference between a win and a mm. loss for sure in like proper middle not just on the outskirts of the bubble just mm. to yeah, yeah, that does make in. a difference. Yeah, for some for some games, it will definitely make a difference. It'll be interesting. Mm. So I, I also wonder here if people will add in more individuals um, just to try and get this to use it more of a lure. I wouldn't think so because mm. they're easy to kill. Well, I reckon your, like, yeah. your defense five, six monsters. Well, I think just most armies have an individual or two in them anyway, right? And maybe it yeah. just yeah. Uh, makes you more inclined when you're moving up your... Yeah. infantry and you've got a mage hovering around nearby them to just whack him on the middle and try to get that extra cheeky plus one in there plus one yeah mm. one that you'd normally but yeah if you, if you happen to have a defense six hero floating about anyway i suppose it does very slightly increase the stock of of that style of unit as you said in the mm. um, in this army list for the 2300 points mm. and we're using the uh blackjack scoring system yeah that's it the best scoring system in my the opinion. only one that matters <laughs> Uh, and what else? Because there's extra points available for the tournament, so it's not just uh, your battle points, is it? Yeah, that's right. The scoring system works like this. There's 167 points on offer total. 147 of them are battle points, so that's just seven games, 21 points per game. Straight and plain and simple. Uh, pretty much the same as what most other events are um, scored at, of course, except for the fact that there's seven games. So I'm very likely to have someone who's the definitive winner based on that. Yeah. Um, but then we get a bunch of other points involved as well. So there's five tournament points for submitting your army list on or before midnight, 12th of August, which is a few weeks beforehand. So very much worth 
doing that. Those five tournament points obviously could be big. But uh, I actually like that. If they want you to submit lists ahead of time, which I don't really know how much point there is that in Kings of War, but I suppose if they're expecting a large group and they don't want to have any controversy of someone accidentally making a mistake in their list on the day, if they want to run over them, like then which clearly they do because they want you to submit early, I think it's great to, as a TO, as a, someone who's been a TO uh, a number of times before, it's great to have a little incentive in there because otherwise people don't do it. On the other hand, could be a feels bad if you just don't read the pack, but I guess that's on you <laughs> if you don't get your five points. Total of 15 presented points can also be given to you via a judge. It's called presentation points. So these are basically points for having your army painted and themed and hobbied nicely. Mm, so these ones here are quite unique as well. So normally we have, over in Australia at least, uh, a pretty tick and flick type system. Uh, is there three colors on it? Tick, tick, tick. Yep, everyone's got it. And often there isn't any presentation scores at all. So uh... either you get a set amount, like it's painted, it's worth X points, or um, or it's unpainted, you get zero. Or there's just nothing, as you said, like it's just 100% battle. So that's how we usually go. But this time it's uh, things are a little different. Mm. So uh, I think when I was having a chat to AG... Uh, and Jeff about the presentation scores and I was trying to ascertain whether it was one of those sort of tick and flick type things Uh, they were very adamant that it was not going to be that it was going to really reward the people that are only coming to Convict Mm -hmm. to be a hobbyist Um, and we we've love I love those those players personally a I can beat them uh two (laughs) their 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 miniatures are beautiful um you can just see that they've spent countless hours actually spending time to make them look beautiful. And uh, I, I really appreciate that as somebody that uh, struggles a little bit to paint uh, personally. But um, so the way that they're going to be doing or the independent judge is going to be doing these scores is on those three topics that uh, Hugh just mentioned. So the paint scores, a hobby score and a theme score. Mm-hmm. And those those scores are out of zero to five. And obviously across those three topics, you'll get to your 15 points. Having a chat through with AG once again, uh, I said, well, what's sort of the typical score here? If I have a really good army that's painted and themed, etc., etc., what should I expect? Um, and the response back was about 7 to a 9 is like a really good tabletop army that you would be painted, themed. It's got like, obviously a lot of basing materials used. It's got a lot of shading and highlights and your army is somewhat themed. So yeah, that's that's pretty interesting. I think... If you do have any questions about that, feel free to just reach out to the TOs beforehand if you're really worried about these 15, 15 points. Um, but realistically, if you can get into that 7 to 9, um, I think that's a pretty good space for a fully painted army. Well, that's good because I'm just thinking of Viv's army if he goes in with his Vassalay and how they're mostly undercoated at the moment. I think, okay, so he's going to get one point for that. But I've done a pretty good job with the, the actual hobby and theme, so he should have some points, which I'm sure he'll be happy mm. about. Uh, the, the important bit here is... Anytime that there's these soft sort of scores, um, there's going to be unhappy people. Of course. So, yeah, I did put in and made sure that there was uh, judges' scores are final. So the independent judge is going to rock up, he's going to look over the armies, and they're going to give the scores and leave. Yeah. Um, so there's not going to be any amendments uh, on an objection or a protest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the way that you've worded it, I don't know if it was you say you, Salak, or whether you worded it alongside... Um, AG and Jeff or whatever, but however you guys have collectively worded it, I think given the style of point deployment that you've gone for, given the array, I think you've worded it about as well as you possibly could, so so as to not cause offence. You know, saying seven to nine is is a good tabletop, so you know people will mm. hopefully allay their expectations and keep it a little lower. Mm. And the idea that you might get one or two points if you have a fully unpainted army. The idea that like a fully unpainted army that is, you know, nicely themed but basically would get zero in any other tournament getting three when my like yeah. fully painted army gets like a seven or eight. Eh, I don't know. Some people might get upset about things like that. And people will still get upset about their scores because this is the kind of thing that upsets people. Oh definitely But the way you've written it is really beautifully done. As you as you said. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely just for everyone that's not looking at the pack or isn't going to look at the pack, uh, each of the the lines, I guess, so your paint scores, zero to five, has a very brief 
sort of overview of what the expectation is for each of the scores. So zero being it's an unpainted grey sadness. Uh, five is effectively is what four is, but it's to an extremely high standard. Um, so that includes all of your army-wide shading, your highlights, and sort of that next level type paint jobs. And it's exactly the same in the hobby section. So it goes from the unbased or unconstructed, uh, getting the zeros all the way up to every unit is a diorama. Yeah. If I could just go through paint specifically, just to look yeah, at sure. that one. So like, uh, you let me know what you think like a standard tabletop army might get. So as you said, zero for unpainted, pretty straight, pretty, like that's mm-hmm. a definitive, easy to score thing. You either get zero or you don't if you're completely unpainted. One for undercoat, so I can spray them black and get a point. Yep. Okay. Two, if you've got three plus colors on your whole army, so basically they're painted, but with no shading. I don't know, like, it's, I don't even know how how you can paint an army fully without shading it. Maybe coats. that's meant to mean, like, partially painted or something like that, and that, that's how I'm reading it, and correct me if I'm wrong. Three points as two, so three plus colors with no shading, but with shading or highlights. So, to me, three is where I would expect a not very well painted but fully painted tabletop army to land mm. is that accurate or would you expect it to be more too? so uh, that's where i would sort of i'm not the independent judge mm-hmm. just to be clear but i would think that most armies that have that sort of tabletop level sort of fits in that three so the three to me in my interpretation is that it has three colors so it's painted and it looks like what it should and there's ad hoc shading and highlights throughout the army okay and the difference between the three and the four is that three is it's periodically it's uh, spread out through the army but four is it's everywhere so every single unit has shading it's got highlights and it's obviously got three plus colors included in it and the difference between the four and the five is the quality so i wouldn't expect too many people getting fives inside that paint score not that we will ever see where the scores no. actually came in and out yeah so I you mean, won't know where you get purely by the description really mm-hmm. a fully painted army maybe should be four because it says army wide shading and highlights like if you fully paint a model it's gonna have shading and highlights even if you do a slapdash effort i feel like it's it's gonna like no one no one just paints a just gets a brush and goes brown and that's it and doesn't even like if you just dip it or like put uh you know ink on it or something it's got shading and highlights so so strictly by wording i feel like everyone should get a four if they're painted and only the best things you'll get five mm. but i don't think that's in that's going to be how that's it's going to end case. up getting applied no. so i think that sort of dip scenario that you mentioned mm-hmm. uh, will be the two so that's the two so that's that's three colors but no shading yeah, so we're not, we're not, I wouldn't say that uh, like the lighting, <laughs> creating the shading will get you up to a three from that point. Uh, I would say the three is where there's deliberate shading uh, like impacts in there. So they're actually painting it in a different tone or they've used uh, like a wash, etc. That's where your threes come in. And your mm-hmm. fours when that's happened to everything. Fair enough. But once again, this is just a guide, um, and that's I don't know, maybe the independent judge is really harsh and is going to give two to. Yeah, everyone. I think that's what it implies. If you're getting seven to nine, it's implying that the judge is going to be really harsh, or it's lowballing it a bit and saying like, "Oh, well, actually, you know, we'll make everyone feel a bit better when they get tens and elevens or whatever." But like, I, I don't want to pick this too much apart, especially since you've been involved, Selick, and I don't want to like rain on your parade but i do want to (laughs) present a uh a contrary kind of point of view or whatever around this kind of thing Mm. for for tos and stuff and and for people to help understand how it actually makes you feel the fact that you've got to put a line in there and i do think you've got to put it in there that that uh the judges score is final uh, don't even bother objecting or protesting the reason that's there really when you when you think about it is that people will object to a protest because they'll be upset. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. you're creating a paint grid that you know will upset people going into it. And then on top of that, you, you're trying to make it as subjective as, as possible, which actually I think is self-defeating. If you simply go... Um, the judge is going to judge you out of 10 and they're going to judge you and walk off and whatever. And that way it's hard to complain a bit because if someone, someone gets an eight and someone else gets a seven, they're like, oh, but I think my army's better painted than yours or whatever. That's just an entirely subjective thing. There's not much you can complain about. But if I go to this tournament and someone gives me, you know, I've got this beautifully painted Empire of Dust army, for example. Now, Empire of Dust are typically, they're on a sand base because that's mm-hmm. kind of their theme. 
Uh, so they might get a nice theme point for that or something, possibly. Who knows? It's mm-hmm. actually subjective. But they're, they can't, they're not going to get two plus basing materials because they've only got one. So that's basic basing. That's a one-pointer. So even if well, they've got the most outstanding models in the biz, they should get a one for basing. Now, I know, of course, as, as you're no doubt about to say, mm-hmm. this, it's actually more subjective than that. Like you've already said yeah. that. Like I, I would argue that if I've dipped my army, then it's got shading, at least basic shading in highlights, worth a three. But yeah, you know, it might be worth a one or a two. So it's actually subjective. So I actually think that while the attempt here is to provide a guide, this is what a good army is like versus what a bad army is like. But but in actual fact, it ends up being subjective anyway. So you're better off not having the matrix. I think. Mm, well, like I mean, I think the objective of it, and it's a really good point, and this is something that's not isolated to australia i think the soft scoring in general is is very targeted because of exactly what we're talking about here Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well because it's impossible to judge something subjectively and and have everyone agree exactly like my opinion versus somebody else Yeah, yeah that's right yeah so um it is is worth noting here uh inside the presentation scores inside the pack uh it does say that it's going to be judged by an independent judge naturally one person that's going to do all of the judging and it's going to be based loosely on the following scale. Um, so there's not enough characteristics inside these boxes or the matrix here uh, or array that could decipher how this person is going to score. And I don't know who the person is. So, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm not really sure. And I'm sure that uh, AG at the time when he sort of created this sort of matrix as well, wasn't really sure of who was going to be doing it. But I think it's important in, in one aspect is, you know, what you should be doing. So as you've just mentioned, if you were that uh, Empire of Dust person and you just had flat sand on your base and you were really concerned about your presentation scores inside the hobby criteria, then you may then go in and go, okay, well, I'm going to add in a couple of like tiny little bushes on my bases periodically to get make sure that mm. I get a two. Or you know what, I'm going to put some bushes in a skull to make sure that I get a three. So the idea is to promote people to work harder on their armies and add more detail and make it more interesting and those kinds mm. of things. So I think the idea is absolutely pure, but what might happen, and who knows, like the, the Kings of War community are so chill, probably just no one will care, but um, <laughs> or they just won't attend if they care that much potentially. But yeah, the practice potentially is like i oh, will but i put the skull on the bush on my base and mm. you're still giving me a one you or a two it. like what's that about like or yep. or rather as you say they won't literally have that conversation because they won't be able to protest to a judge but they'll have that conversation with their mates and they'll get that feel yep. bad kind of vibe yeah so um which sort of leads to i think it's like the fourth sentence there that the judges may actually ask you to help point out some items here they may and like if you see somebody lurking over uh, with a, a notepad and pen, it may be worth you, uh, if you're once again concerned about your presentation scores, to say, hey, look at my skull here um, as my third basing material and then give them a wink. Like That could actually be something that you want to do. We will move on from the presentation scores. However, I totally agree with you. This is something that is subjective and it is something that doesn't always leave a good taste in your mouth at the end of the tournament particularly if you score lower than where your expectations are so um that's it i think um yeah. to to finish on it too i agree we should move on but uh i i think it's great i totally agree with you that promoting awesomely painted armies to get them along to events is is a great thing i think all of big events should have a painting prize because it gives something some of those hobbyists as you say something else to aim for which i think is fantastic and frankly those less hobby inclined people usually aren't going to be too bothered at all by that. It's when it, you count it towards their overall score mm-hmm. and then that's when people start getting uh, upset about it because they're like, well, I, I actually care about this paint score more because instead of it just being yeah. some arbitrary score that sits over here that someone else who is undeniably a better painter than me they are now winning this painting prize that I didn't think I was going to win anyway, which is what the result is. That's right. What you instead get is I came fourth instead of third because of a subjective score that someone else gave that I disagree with or whatever, and I lost a few points in the in the overall total. That's right. So that's, that's troublesome. But I will say that having seven games, seven battle points worth of games, makes that scenario, at least at the podium, a lot less likely because yes. there's going to be a separation and it's only 15 yeah. out of, what is it, 167. 
So, so that, mm. that scenario is less likely across that many games at the podium, but it will still absolutely occur throughout the field. Anyway, that's, that's it on uh, presentation. So trophies <laughs> and prizes, there's some rippers, as always, with these kinds of events. There's first, second, and third overall. Players' choice army, so you still get to put in a vote for your favorite army. You've got a wooden spoon as well, of course, for you know the lols. Best evil, neutral, and good generals outside of the top three. I like that. Mm-hmm. It gives you something to aim for if you're even well any any of the three <laughs> different faction types. If you like, oh, I'm not going to podium, but we're going to try to like. I'm, I've got my other neutral player over here, and he or she are doing well, and like I'm like, oh, I've just got to beat you in this game, and then I'll get that prize. I kind of like that. That's kind of cool. It gives the people lower in the event yeah. something to play for. So just on those, the best evil, neutral, and good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're the people that could have the unpainted armies. They could. That just got all of the um, battle points like of that 147, um, but they just didn't podium. So they could actually be... Uh, it doesn't actually space. say that, but I guess that must be intended because it says best evil, mm. neutral, and good generals outside the top three. Does that mean only battle points count towards that, not presentation and, I guess, army Yeah, from my understanding, that's the case. Okay, yep. interesting. So it's more that generalship. Right, gotcha, gotcha. So I didn't didn't interpret it that way it doesn't say that but that's a good uh that's a good point i think that does that's great as you say like the vivs of the world that um i mean in reality if you enter with a completely unpainted army in this event you still can absolutely win because seven games of battle points if you win every game you'll still win (laughs) i think (laughs) i think probably Mm, i think so yeah so you can still do it but as you say it gives you something else to play for as soon as you have your first loss to uh, Tracy in the first round because you grudged them or whatever. <laughs> uh, you also get Sexiest General, which is a convict tradition. I believe you've won this one year, haven't you, Sally? I have, I have. I think uh, 2008 I won it when I was much younger. Is that why you went into the girls' room? Because they thought that you were under some sort of false impressions? Well, <laughs> not connecting dots, mate. So what, what is the Sexiest General Award? Uh, so, historically, it's, it's actually had quite a, a strange history. So it has been literally the... I refer to it as the least ugly nerd in the room, <laughs> which has won it a couple of years. But I do remember, I think it was 2010, that a person in a pink onesie won it. What? That was like a dinosaur costume, I think. Okay. Um, but they actually got the sexiest general. Ugh. So it has been used as a bit of a, a mockery, but it has actually, I think when I won, there was like a, a lady at the bowls club that voted for me. So, yeah, it's um, been independently judged you, as well. I was going to say that on a few occasions, as I understand it. Like they get it some has. passerby to do the judging or something, which is pretty funny. But uh, yeah, when I won it, it's clouded in controversy because I actually stayed at her house the <laughs> night before. I didn't know she was the judge. Sure you did. But uh, yeah. Oh, wow. But we won't go into that. We won't go into that. Wow. Okay. Just, well, and of course, you won a very important prize there. You, you would have won. That's it. it was thousands of dollars and all that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a beautiful. I've actually got it right next to me, actually. <laughs> It's in my trophy it's one for the trophy it's just case, that one. at least. So give it, give it that for sure. <laughs> I think uh, the more uh, ladies that that hopefully will attend uh, Kings of War events in the future, the, the the more likely that one falls off the off the old list. But who knows? I, I think so. Uh, it does, does start to get a little controversial potentially? It certainly does. Yeah, and all players receive a set of tokens. It's worth calling out as well, uh, which is a bit of a tradition for some of these larger events. Which is always really cool. It's great to have those Convict twenty twenty two tokens so that you can, you know. Make sure your mates know that you're legit when you're playing loot or what have you. Mm. That's it. So I guess now that we've sort of pretty much summed up the whole pack, so that tells you what to bring and obviously the final thoughts from the TOs in this pack, but what's your overall thoughts of uh, Convict 2022? Grueling. Grueling? Seven games? Seven games over two days is going to be a killer. Yeah, grueling is is true, what I'd say as well, but it's also totally in keeping with like AG and Jeff's uh, style in that they can just play Kings of War till the cows come home, especially AJ, who famously yeah. can play Kings of War like forty games in a row without hours, sleeping because he? he's just a he's just a machine. Yeah, I think he played it literally twenty four hours consecutive yeah. for yes. one of the campaigns. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I don't have his endurance for the game. Um, I don't have his passion as much as I love Kings of War. So <laughs> I'm with Benson on this one. Seven games is uh, is a bit much for me, but I really like the. The style of it, I like that they've done something a little bit different to other events. Mm. It's not just uh, another three-game uh, one day or something. Not that there's anything wrong with them either, but it's doing something different something on different. the calendar. So it's a yeah. big event, two days, seven games, something to look forward to that you can do a little bit differently to 
to other events, which is cool. And list construction will be different because of how it's set out. What with the um, the movement of the the terrain and uh, the two different kinds of point limits. Yep. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Yeah, I th- I think just in my thoughts, I like the little tweaks that they've put throughout the pack that can actually make you i would think overthink your list design so the unit strength for the dominate uh obviously the scenarios that they've chosen for day one with the smaller lists i think you could overthink it at the same time but i I really like how they've done that particularly around like the moving of terrain etc so i I like what they're what they're doing and there's some bits that i probably wouldn't pick if i was doing a to uh, as the to uh, but at the same time, I think that when I reviewed, well, I've reviewed this quite some time ago now, but uh, I actually really like the list and um, or the, the pack and look forward to it. Really, really look forward to it. I'm so keen, mm. to be honest. Definitely gets the sexiest pack award from me, <laughs> for sure. If uh, if that was an award if, that if I'm allowed to one, give yeah. out. <laughs> but yeah, uh, as you say, it's great that, um, you know, they're doing something a little different and it's also not exactly how I would do an event, but I'm glad that not every event is exactly how I do an event. Otherwise, they'd be pretty much all the same, wouldn't they? So, yep. yeah, it's good to have mm. that variety out there. All right. How about we leave it there? Yep. So one more call out before we do <sighs> move on. If you are looking for some blogs and things like that, uh, check out Goonhammer. So this guy's been doing, or these pe- two guys, I think, uh, have been doing a road to Convict. Ah, yes. Um, so check out their their packs. They've been playing some playtest games and obviously their painting and hobby side of things. So feel free to jump over there and give them a view and a like and a bit of a comment as well. Um, they'll really appreciate it. Okay, so pick up the pack, read it over, send the payment through and get painting if you haven't started already. Yeah, don't forget to put at least three different objects on your bases and be sure to right. send your uh, your army list, your two mm-hmm. army lists that is, through on by 12th of August to make sure you don't miss out on those five points. And then hopefully we'll get the chance to see you at Convict. Yes, see you there and you can beat us. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> All right, we'll speak to you soon. Thanks, guys. Ciao. Thank you for tuning in with my team. Make sure you follow on Facebook and Twitter. Yes, indeed, more than a game. It's a lifestyle, yes, sir. Hope you realize that the math hammer doesn't work. <laughs> we give the people what they desire. Australian war game and podcast, direct misfire. You don't want to miss a thing. Yeah, we got plenty more. If you're ready, let's go. Stay tuned, that's for sure. Hey.